Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. Thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. We're going to look back on Oregon, and we'll look ahead to the Kentucky Wildcats coming to town this weekend to face the Red Raiders. Before we dive into the baseball behind us and the baseball in front of us, I want to send a shout-out to Texas Tech softball, 10-0 and on the season. We're just ranked number 23 in the nation. They had three weekend shutouts at a tournament, including a no-hitter by Aaron Edmondson, who then came back in the final game of the tournament and threw a complete game shutout. Then he had a combined two-hitter in the middle, also a shutout. So three shutouts on the weekend for Texas Tech softball. Just proud to see what they're doing. Congratulations to head coach Adrian Gregory and her squad. They're headed to play two top 20 teams in California at another Invitational, and they'll also be playing an exhibition game against Team Japan, and they'll be playing the number five team in the country in Washington. So an opportunity in six games over the weekend in California to really make some noise on a national level. So good luck to them. Let's hop into the Oregon Ducks and talk about the series that we just watched in Lubbock over the weekend. Opening weekend at Danlaw Field at Rip Griffin Park. Always an exciting time for a Red Raider baseball fan. It was a fun weekend. You knew you were going to have some cold temperatures. You knew you were going to have some high winds. And Lubbock did not disappoint in that regard. But it was really a pretty day starting out on Friday about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Unfortunately, the story of the weekend for Texas Tech baseball was just one of starting pitching not being up to the level that the Red Raiders are going to need to continue to see in the season. Now, I understand it's opening weekend and there's some rust to shake off, but you certainly expect guys like Caleb Killian, a junior, the ace that remained from your staff last season, you expect him to come in a little bit sharper than he did. Killian just didn't last as long as you needed him to in that game and really struggled from the mound. Now, I certainly want to give some credit to the Oregon Ducks. They were an abysmal hitting team in 2018, as I talked about last week. Just were not good at the plate. They had one player back in Jacob Goldfarb who hit over 278 last season. You didn't see him until later in the weekend, and they definitely have had some guys step up. They appear to have a lot more speed on that team, and they hit really fairly well against Red Raider pitching throughout the weekend. I don't think that even solid starting pitching would have shut them down completely because their offense has definitely taken a step forward. But that being said, pitching is going to have to be better for the Red Raiders, and Tim Tadlock did talk about that a little bit. I'll play you a clip here in a minute. The Red Raiders did put some strokes on the ball. Josh Young was a very unusual 0 for 5 on the day on Friday, but he had four really solid hits on the ball in that 0 for 5. They just happened to go right to guys. Those are frustrating days for baseball players, but they are days that come. I don't think you'll see a lot more of that from Josh Young. I think that you'll see him continue to step forward. And as Tim Tadlock talked about in a postgame presser, Josh Young has a professional approach at the plate. He's a guy that's going to go pitch to pitch. He's going to go through his routine. He's always going to be focused on doing what he needs to do. And he's got great guys in front of him that are really setting up well. Both Gabe Holt and freshman Drew Baker, who got the start all three games at shortstop, did a lot of good work ahead of Josh Young in the lineup to set him up and give him the opportunity for success, even with some of the seeing-eye singles that he was hitting later in the weekend. 
One of the most frustrating things from that Friday game were the number of bases that the Ducks stole. They took nine bags in game one. That's obviously high. I don't want to put all of that on the catcher, but you have to put some of it on catcher Cole Stillwell, who did get the start on Friday. I've been really high on him. I expected him to come out and be a little bit stronger. He was not very successful at the plate. And unfortunately, his deficiencies as a defensive catcher really came to bear. He missed a ball from Gabe Holt in right field with an opportunity to get an out at the plate. And he just didn't seem to be able to make his transfer quick enough to get out of his stance and get that ball to second or really to any other base. It just felt a little bit slow. Didn't have enough pop on that throw to really make it ahead of some of the speed that you saw from Oregon. So you ended up seeing Braxton Fulford over the next two games at catcher, and he certainly made that time count. We'll talk a little bit about him in a moment as well. I almost get the impression that maybe Gardner and Coach Tadlock told these pitchers as they were struggling not to worry about base runners. From a scouting report standpoint, you expected to see Oregon come in with some fake steals to try to create a little bit of havoc, steal once in a while. That's some things Coach Tadlock talked about. But at the end of the day, they really did get out there and and create a lot of havoc. As I said, they swiped nine bags on Friday alone. In addition to Caleb Killian struggling in his starting role, you also saw relievers struggle as well. John McMillan came in in relief and only lasted two-thirds of an inning. He kept it in the low 90s. He wasn't overthrowing the ball, but his command and control was just not there. He wasn't throwing the strikes that he wanted to throw. We've heard some word that he was still pretty wild throughout the spring, even hitting some of his own guys in spring ball. So definitely not a positive there. You know that John McMillan wants to be a starter for this Red Raider team, but you can't help but wonder if there aren't other roles that he would be better suited for going forward. I know that there's a desire there as a pitcher goes to want to do something in particular, but sometimes it's important to look at the reality and how you're responding to situations, especially as a junior, and realize you could make a real name for yourself by hopping into that closer role, come out there with some fire, throw some heat, and really enjoy getting those save situations. And we did see that from McMillan later in the weekend. Once again, it solidified how well-suited he seems to be to those situations. So the Red Raiders dropped that first game against Oregon 9-4. to They just didn't have an answer for the Ducks from the mound. They gave up 15 hits on the day. The Red Raiders were only able to get nine. There were times that the infield just didn't communicate well. You could tell this team just needed some more time together, needed some time to gel. These were struggles that you saw throughout the weekend as well. The middle infield definitely needs some time to work together. Brian Klein obviously has been at second for you fairly consistently for a while now, but Drew Baker is a new addition at shortstop, and you may see some other guys work through there. I think there's still questions about how much you'll see TJ Rumfeld, if you'll see Dylan Noisy up there, which Tim Tadlock indicated that he would play outfield and middle infield early in the season. Cody Masters was worked in in the outfield as well. There's just a lot of guys on this Red Raider team that there are opportunities to see where they may fit the best and, of course, how they're hitting as well. So they're just going to need some time to work through the kinks, to work on their communication. But I will say about Baker, he played a pretty good game at shortstop. He did hesitate a little bit too long a couple of times early on. It appeared that he took sometimes two or even three steps more than he needed to before throwing the ball to first, which made play closer than they needed to be, but you saw some hesitation from other players as well. 
The Red Raiders rolled into the Saturday game, and of course, from a fan's perspective, you really feel like they need to make a statement. They need to come out. They need to do something big. You want to see your starting pitching in Bryce Bonin be much tighter, much more on, much cleaner. You've heard how electric his stuff is, and you're excited to see him come out and make a debut as a Red Raider. This is the Arkansas transfer who felt like he could be a starter, came to the Red Raider squad, and got the ability from the NCAA to play immediately. Unfortunately, he jumped right in. We saw the same starting struggles that we saw before. Bonin only lasted a third of an inning pitched. He allowed back-to-back singles to right field, back-to-back walks, which scored the first run of the day for the Ducks. He tallied a strikeout, then he walked in two more runs before he was pulled in favor of Erickson Lanning. Unfortunately, then, Lanning struggled to stop the bleeding. He hit a batsman, and that was followed by an error and then back-to-back RBI singles. The error was very frustrating for Red Raider fans. Once again, that infield looking a little bit lost, a lot of rust there, both for Lanning, who didn't pitch last season due to injury, and for the rest of the infield as well. Now, Braxton Fulford got the start on Saturday and then again on Sunday and proved, I think, defensively why he is a better choice a catcher, and then the woes of last season for him as far as a hitter seemed to be put to rest a little bit. He had a solid Saturday and Sunday. He had two home runs on Saturday and then was solid throughout the rest of the weekend as well. Unfortunately, the Red Raiders found themselves down eight after the top of the first inning, and it seemed like it was going to be a long afternoon. Now, it was. It was four and a half hours long, that game, but it definitely didn't disappoint. Tech battled back with three runs in the first and then four more in the second. There was a two-RBI no-doubter by D.H. Doug Facendo. He's a product of New Jersey but comes to Texas Tech via Howard College. And then, as I mentioned, Braxton Fulford hit a dinger in that inning. Tech tacked on five more across the sixth and seventh, including another run by Fulford, and then just good all-around hitting top to bottom in the lineup. When a guy like Fulford can come in in the nine hole and give you two home runs in a game, it's almost like you have a second leadoff man, and that really, really can be positive from a setup standpoint for the Red Raiders at the top of the lineup. You know, I just feel like that The Red Raider batters started working counts better and making their at-bats work in favor. Uh, They just started to beat up the Oregon starter, Ryan Nelson. He ended up allowing seven runs on seven hits. He had four walks in four and a third innings. This was a guy that we kept hearing how great he was going to be this season. While he did last four and a third, he just wasn't particularly strong for the Ducks on Saturday. And the same goes for Kenyon Yovan, their Friday starter. We've heard a lot about him, expected him to be really sharp. He's considered one of the top ace pitchers in the nation. Uh, He just did not have a good day against the Red Raiders. Despite how the offense looked for the Ducks, he did not particularly look sharp. And Oregon also used several guys more than once. We saw guys come in multiple days, leading me to believe that that Monday game, had it happened, it was canceled for weather. Could have been a pretty ugly one for the Ducks. I think that Hunter Dobbins was slated to start for the Red Raiders on Monday. No idea how he would have done as a starter, obviously, but the Red Raiders still had several arms they hadn't used plus guys like Caleb Freeman that didn't have a lot of work all the way back on Friday. So I just find it hard to believe that the Ducks could have stood up with more pitching in that four-game stand. 
So as the Red Raiders went through pitchers on Saturday, Lubbock Cooper product Trey Garlick came in and threw three and a third shutout innings for the Red Raiders. Coach Tadlock described him as really special in his postgame availability. He was followed by Juco transfer Taylor Floyd, who tossed two and two-thirds shutout innings of his own, and he had five Ks in that inning. So definitely nice to see a couple of new names come in and make waves as good relievers because you're going to need them throughout the season no matter what. You certainly need more bullpen depth. That was something the Red Raiders lacked in 2018. But once again, from Caleb Killian on Friday to Bryce Bonin on Saturday, and then including John McMillan and Erickson Lanning in relief, you just had some frustrating outings from Red Raider pitchers, either that are highly touted or that group of three that you've seen before and know that they have better stuff than what they showed. Coach Tim Tadlock was asked by Don Williams in the postgame presser about these guys, and this is what he had to say about it. What's kind of going through your mind or what were you thinking when it was eight to nothing? Uh, when it was eight to nothing, really in the middle of the first inning, I was uh, I was ecstatic um, based on looking at Bonin and his mound presence and his stuff because it's off the charts. I mean, there's just not many guys with that kind of stuff. Um, what he probably had a hard time doing today was was moving on from a pitch before. What whether it was a hit, whether somebody squared it up, no matter. No matter what the situation was, um, and you know, so you're looking at a guy. You know, he's he's a kind of competitor and has a kind of mound presence. What you're looking for, uh, really felt like him and Killian felt like both their starts. It felt like spring training starts to me, where guys go out and they they throw their 30 pitches or their 50 pitches, and okay, I'm good. Hey, the rest of you guys get to pitch. Unfortunately, college baseball, it's not how it works. We kind of need them to go. Little more than a spring training start, and uh, but I, you know, the rhythm and timing is an elusive thing, and those guys really been on the mound um, only a few times. I mean, that's about their fourth time on the mound against hitters this spring, and uh, looking forward to seeing those guys get going. So there's head coach Tim Tadlock talking about Bryce Bonin and Caleb Killian starts and just not the mentality you want to see from guys that you expect to be weekend starters for this team all throughout the season. They need to have a better mentality from a pitch-to-pitch standpoint than coming in and doing their basic amount of work and then moving out. And that'll come with time, and you know that they're better competitors than that. You've seen that competition from Caleb Killian. You've seen that competition from guys like John McMillan as well, and so you know that they're going to come in and figure some of those things out. From the plate on Saturday, every Red Raider reached base safely. So there were some really strong performances that day. Gabe Holtz one I'll talk about in a little bit as well. He was the only Red Raider that reached base on all five of his at-bats, did a bunch of great work on Saturday. Doug Facendo had a two-RBI day. He hit a home run, uh, also drew two walks. Josh Young was two for three with two runs, two RBI, and two walks on the day as well. And then Dylan Noisy also had a two RBI day, drew a walk, scored a run for the Red Raiders. Good to see some of these new faces produce out there. It was a much better performance once you got past that initial struggle for the Red Raiders, which felt pretty good as a fan sitting in the stands because you had seen some struggles very early and just something that looked like it was going to be a terrible outcome. And then suddenly it became much more bearable and you saw that the grit of the team come out. So the Red Raiders give up eight in the first, they answer with three, they score four in the second to close the gap a bit. 
you get into the doldrums of the game and, and go through three scoreless innings for the Red Raiders, then in the sixth and seventh, they tack on five more, and they end up winning the game 12-11. to 11. The Red Raiders only had 10 hits on the day compared to 12 for the Ducks. So it was a solid day. You had Taylor Floyd actually earn the win in his two and two-thirds innings of work, and Clayton Beater actually earned a save. Now, you may or may not remember, Clayton Beater was a highly touted recruit coming to Texas Tech last year, ended up injured and had a medical red shirt for the 2018 season. Really exciting to see him come in. He brings high-level stuff. He's electric on the mound, definitely has the mid to upper 90s. Uh, in his back pocket, 95-96 is a place that he's comfortable. He had a great day for Texas Tech on Saturday in the in his two-thirds innings work. Had two strikeouts in that time and zeros across the board. Just did a great job coming in for his two-thirds innings and just fanning those batters and preserving the win for the Red Raiders. So you walk into Sunday feeling like, okay, you showed some grit, you showed some determination, a game where you're down eight to nothing after the top half of the first, and a team that can collectively mentally understand there's a lot of baseball left to be played, there's a lot of opportunity here. I think that's something that'll pay dividends later on in the season for this team. This is always a game they'll be able to look back at and know that they're never out of it. Josh Young talked about this in post-game availability as well. Important for a team, important for a team's leadership to have a game like this to point back to, especially in the postseason, to know they're never out of it. They have that opportunity. Bryce Bonham actually tweeted and said that he found out today he's not great at throwing baseballs, but his team is really good at scoring runs. I appreciate he can have a little bit of humor about it. Certainly don't want the young man to beat himself up about his performance. Plenty of opportunities in a 56-game season for him to find a rhythm, to come out, find timing, and, and do a better job for Texas Tech. I think he's going to be somebody that will be special for you this season. But it's nice to see the Red Raider bats come alive top to bottom. Definitely had bright spots in the order last season, but I think this could be a year where you're going to see eight, nine guys in the lineup that are just consistently really, really a threat to any opposing pitcher. And that is certainly a good place for this Texas Tech team to be in. So walking into Sunday, your starter was freshman left-hander Mason Montgomery. He's a highly touted left-hander out of Leander, Texas. Montgomery was the number one left-hander in the state when he was recruited, was highly ranked throughout the country. I believe he was drafted out of high school as well. So having him come in and start on Sunday was a positive for him. He needed that experience. He wasn't unbelievably sharp. I think he's somebody that will be special in the future. He has a little bit of growing up to do. He did do a pretty good job. He lasted for a while for the Red Raiders. He probably stayed in a little bit too long, but that's often the, the case with any pitcher that gives up a few runs. They were in there just a little bit too long. He pitched four full innings. He allowed three runs on six hits. He had one walk and one strikeout. I think he he did a solid job in his first collegiate start. Nothing for, to be upset with him about. And then he had good relief behind him, which was the difference maker on this day. You had Ryan Sublette come in, did not have a good outing for the Red Raiders, was pulled very quickly, actually had zero innings pitched. But then Dane Haveman came in and pitched two and a third shutout innings for the Red Raiders. He allowed three hits, but no runs, had one strikeout in that time. Did a good job. Definitely some redemption for him after a short but uninspired outing on Friday. You got two-thirds of an inning from Connor Queen, who actually earned the win for Texas Tech. That was a shutout inning for him with one strikeout. When Connor Queen came in for that two-thirds inning of work, it almost looked like a save situation for him. He came in, he was fired up, 
He fanned a batter. He got the outs that he needed to close out the inning, and he covered first base for the ground out that ended the inning and was just screaming and excited. It really reminded me of Ty Harpenoff from 2018, just a fiery guy that came in to compete and make it happen, do his job. Loved seeing him. Queen still has the long hair. Looked like he might have lost a little bit of weight over the offseason, and was just excited to see him do that. I think that he's a guy that will be important for you out of the pen this year. It's obvious that Matt Gardner and Tim Tadlock still like his stuff because he's on the team. And if anybody's on this Texas Tech team with the options that they had through the fall, you know that they're players that can really bring it. And I think that we're starting to see more of that. Ryan Kesey contributed another inning for you with one hit and shut out the otherwise. And then John McMillan came in and earned the save. He preserved that win for the Red Raiders, pushed a full inning of shutout baseball with two strikeouts, and really did a solid job for Texas Tech. It's so hard not to think that John McMillan could be a fantastic closer if he would own that role for Texas Tech. On Sunday, you had some more strong performances. Josh Young, two for four with two RBI. Gabe Holt had a run scored, two walks, two more stolen bases. Tannero Trimba came in. This is a guy that's very reminiscent of Stephen Smith, a big-bodied guy, deceptively fast, lots and lots of raw power in his bat. I believe he was the number one recruit coming out of Colorado in this recruiting class. Otrimba had two RBI and hit a home run over the right field fence. That's going opposite field for Otrimba. Just really, really showed off his power there. Uh, He played right field for a fair part of the day, too, and did a pretty good job out there. And then Facendo once again went one for two. He had two runs and two walks on the day, serving as your DH. So guys starting to solidify a little bit. I'm sure you'll see faces change and folks move around continuing through this season, but some of these new guys definitely contributing. The Red Raiders playing much better on Sunday. They took the game 6-4. to four. Made you feel a little bit better about everything. Unfortunately, they still gave up 13 hits on the day. The Red Raiders only able to tally up 7, but they translated those into 6 runs, which is certainly nice to see. Moving into Monday, not exactly sure what was going to happen. Hunter Dobbins was slated to start. That game ended up getting canceled because of really cold temperatures in Lubbock. Uh, And I'm kind of glad that it did. You certainly don't want to be pitching guys out there, especially out of the pen in that kind of weather. was hoping they'd do a doubleheader over the weekend so you could still get that game in, but that's okay. That's just not how it played out. I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to give a few awards over the series. I'll try to keep doing this each week. Got you a hitter of the series, a pitcher of the series, and a player of the series overall. For the hitter of the series, I got to give that to Braxton Fulford. The sophomore, a product of Lubbock Monterey, Fulford hit 500 on the weekend. That's the highest batting average on the team currently. He had three hits, three runs scored, three RBI. He drew a walk and he hit two dingers on Saturday alone. Just a solid, solid weekend. And that's out of only two games. Remember, Cole Stillwell got the start on Friday. Fulford, if there was any complaint about him last season, it was simply that he just struggled to hit. He did get some walks. He got some singles when you needed him late in the season. He did respond uh, when you needed him, but overall just you know, not, not a strong hitter for the Red Raiders. Definitely showing that he's put some work in in the cages. Excited for him. Excited to see him show that off. Fulford also had the opportunity for some plate plays, and he gunned a, a runner down at first. Just nice to see his arm strength out there compared to what we saw on Friday. Definitely some positives from him. For the pitcher of the series, I went back and forth between Trey Garlett and Taylor Floyd. Uh, I ended up going with Garlett, and I'll tell you why. He had a 270 ERA in his outing. That's three and a third innings pitched. 
Now, really, my favorite thing about him, and it's one of my favorite stats in baseball, Garland had the lowest batting average against of anybody that pitched significant innings for the Red Raiders. A two twenty two was the batting average he allowed from opposing batters. So really did a great job. Tim Tadlock called him special, and I, I would tend to agree. I think he's somebody that's going to do good things. Taylor Floyd as well. He had five strikeouts in his two and two-thirds innings, but Garland's the one I'm going to name pitcher of the series. And then the player of the series, and I've purposefully not talked about him a whole lot during this podcast because I was saving it for now, Gabe Holt was absolutely fantastic this series for the Red Raiders. I've noticed on Twitter I see a lot of talk about the silent Red Raider. Gabe Holt really does just quietly go out there, do work. He plays it a little bit old school. Now, he did get a little chippy with a pitcher at one point, and I don't mind seeing that either. You like to see guys stand up for themselves and their teammates, but he went out there, he hit 444 on the weekend, he had four hits which was tied for the most out of the weekend. He had four runs scored, which is the most on the team for the weekend. He had one RBI. He drew six walks, also the most. He was six for six in stolen bases, and he had the highest on-base percentage of the weekend as well at a 667. On top of all of that, Gabe Holt started in right field, played center field, and then started in center field and moved around, uh, and he was error-free out there. If there was one small critique of Gabe Holt at all, it's that he seems to be rushing throws from the outfield. I think that's the mentality of a middle infielder to try to get rid of it quickly, but he definitely needs a little bit of work out there in that regard, but made much better reads on the ball, ran much better routes, uh, actually made a pretty nice catch very early in the game on Sunday when he got the start in center field over Max Marshock. It was just nice to see Gabe Holt out there really doing some big things. He's quietly a guy that is one of the most important players on this team. The setup that he and then Drew Baker as well provided for Josh Young, especially on Sunday, was extremely important to getting this win. If you didn't have guys like Gabe Holt willing to get on base no matter what, then some of the things that you saw from from the Red Raiders wouldn't have happened. There was a lot of guys that played some unselfish baseball, especially Saturday and Sunday, and that was very evident, and Gabe Holt is definitely one of those guys. All right, well, let's hop in and look at the Kentucky Wildcats really quickly. They're coming to town this weekend, playing the Red Raiders in a three-game series. The Friday game was scheduled for 6 p.m. It'll now be played at 2 p.m. because of some potential weather. The Saturday game is currently scheduled for 2 p.m., and the Sunday game scheduled for 1 p.m., Now, Kentucky was a team that last year gave the Red Raiders fits. They went to Lexington to play them. It was some horrible, cold, rainy, sleety weather. They played the games anyway. Not a good road trip for Texas Tech. They followed that with a midweek in Louisville and then went on to play Baylor in Waco. Just a long road trip, a lot more losses than you hope to have there. So now Kentucky will be coming to Lubbock. Not really a team with a ton of baseball history. They've made the NCAA tournament seven times since 1988. They did make it last in 2017. Never made a College World Series. Now, not a bad team by any means. And a lot of folks really thought that in 2018, the Wildcats had Omaha-level talent on their team. So there was some surprise that they didn't make the NCAA tournament. But ultimately, going 13-17 and in the SEC held them back from getting the nod to go to the tournament despite a pretty good RPI and a pretty good strength of schedule. That's really frustrating, I'm sure, for them. And then unfortunately for that team, they're going to end up replacing seven of their biggest bats last season in the lineup. So that's going to take a lot for them. 
Now, they opened their season this last weekend against Austin P. So some of the numbers I'm about to give you, you take with a grain of salt considering the competition. In last season, they had a 540 ERA, so really, really pretty poor from the pitching standpoint. They had a ton of strikeouts. 508 strikeouts was about 50th in the country, but their ERA was 212th in the nation. So they had some pretty solid pitching at the top of their rotation, but I think they struggled with the bullpen and, and those other lower-level starters. This weekend against Austin P, their starting pitching gave up six hits and three runs in 13 innings of work. They amassed 21 Ks and, and only allowed five walks. So a pretty solid outing for them. But again, looking at that competition, it's hard to really judge. Coming into the season, their freshman lefty Dylan Marsh was going to be important to their rotation. He pitched four innings in Friday's opener against Austin P. He only allowed one hit. He had no runs. And then he had no walks and four Ks in that debut. Junior left-hander Zach Thompson is coming off of an injury and appears to have fully recovered. He also pitched four innings on Friday. He allowed one hit and no runs. He fanned nine batters, which was one shy of his career high. And then look for sophomore Carson Coleman as well. He earned two wins last weekend in only three and two-thirds combined innings pitched, and he had six Ks through that. So he came in Friday, earned a win, and then came in again on Sunday and earned another win. So he's the only pitcher in the SEC with two wins currently. Now, one of the strengths of the Wildcat team in 2018 was their batting. Their team slash line was a 294-401-493, which was 28th, 11th, and 5th in the country in Division I baseball. But as I said, they'll be replacing seven of their top hitters here in 2019. Probably most notably, they had 17 extra base hits in the series. So 11 doubles and six dingers. That ended up being half of their hits for the weekend. So 34 hits over the weekend tallied. 17 of those were extra base hits. Junior outfielder Jaron Shelby hit 500 for the weekend with two doubles and a home run. He had five runs scored, five RBI, and a stolen base. He also gunned down a runner from right field that was trying to score from second. That ended an Austin P rally with the game still in doubt. So not going to be an easy team for the Red Raiders, but certainly a team that you're still not 100% sure what they're going to be when you compare last year, what they lost, and then their competition from the first weekend. And then junior TJ Collette showed up big opening weekend. He played both DH and first base. He had a 467 with a double and two dingers. He had seven RBI and he scored four runs. All three games were multi-hit games for him. So he's definitely a guy that is out there doing some work for them. And it appears they're still moving some guys around, trying some things out as well. Junior Dalton Reed also had a big weekend at the plate. He had five hits, including two doubles and two taters. He homered on his first pitch as a Wildcat, quite a way to start your college career, and one of his home runs was a game-winning three-run shot on Sunday. They stole eight bags over the weekend. Six of those came on Saturday alone, so not crazy numbers considering what Texas Tech does and what they saw from Oregon this weekend, but certainly something to keep an eye on if they have that kind of speed. So that's really the Wildcats. Obviously, we'll see them in person here in Lubbock, Texas this weekend. You can catch that first game on Fox Sports Southwest Plus, and you can catch the other two on Texas Tech TV. I know you're not surprised to hear me say I'm excited for it. I'm always excited to watch the Red Raiders play. 
My expectations for this weekend, I definitely think the Red Raiders are in line to get two wins and potentially to get the sweep. I don't think the Wildcats are going to come in with as much offensive firepower against Texas Tech pitching. I also expect to see Texas Tech pitching move forward a little bit. I think there was some mental issues there. I think that you'll see some changes. I think they'll continue trying some things, but I expect the bats to continue working, and I think that pitching is going to get a little bit better. I also think you'll see infield defensive play tighten up a little bit, and I think it needs to. There needs to be better communication out there. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode with questions from Twitter. This is Throwing Chad with Raider Red. This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh, yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Dad's father gave it to him. Babe Ruth signed that ball. Babe Ruth! You may not look like a winning team. But you are one. So, play like one tonight. So at the end of that Wildcat look ahead, I talked about the Red Raiders pitching coming up this weekend. And my first question is about pitching. It's from Eric. Do we see two new starting pitchers next week just to see what they have? As I thought about this answer, Eric, I really thought, yeah, you'll definitely probably see one. But then the more I thought about it, the more sense you were making to me. I think that you might see two new starting pitchers. I think you'll still see Caleb Killian get a start. I think he needs a chance to redeem himself. But you definitely may see swap outs for Mason Montgomery and Bryce Bonin. I think that they want to continue to give Bonin opportunities, especially as good as his stuff can be. But I wonder if you don't give opportunities to guys like Micah Dallas. Hunter Dobbins was slated for the Monday start against Oregon. That might be another guy. Jake McDonald is somebody else with electric stuff that we haven't seen yet. He was rehabbing an injury last season. I think you'll see Coach Tadlock want to shuffle some things up, certainly based on his comments that we've heard from postgame pressers. Uh, they may also want to give some guys shots that showed out. I don't know how comfortable guys like Trey Garlett would be with a start. Taylor Floyd seemed like he played out just a little bit. Coach Tadlock talked about that, but that he stayed out there with grit and he competed. Clayton Beater may be another guy that's interested in putting in some starting time. So they're not going to rush anybody or try to give them too many innings. You certainly want guys that are prepared to go out and pitch four, five, or six for you. But yes, I do agree with you, Eric. I think you might see two new starting pitchers this weekend. It's still early in the season. Remember that, folks. we got a 56-game schedule to work through here. Lots of questions to be answered. Lots of guys that still need some time to figure things out for the Red Raiders. I had several questions come in about replays. So I looked into that. I learned a little bit more about it than I knew. And I wanted to think about what it is that the replay is accomplishing and if they're doing it in a way that I agree with. So sitting in the ballpark initially, I was a little bit frustrated with the replays. I think that instant replay is something that has really negatively affected football, both college and the NFL. I don't like the instant replay a lot. I think they get it wrong a lot of times, which is frustrating. And I really hate the wishy-washy response of something standing, basically just saying, we don't have enough information to make a change, even though we're probably wrong. And that's frustrating to me that that's the case. If you're going to get into a situation where you're going to instant replay with multiple camera angles and slow motion, you need to make a definitive call off of that. So that is one thing I appreciated. There were definitive calls made, whether they upheld what was called on the field or they changed it. I did appreciate that they're willing to turn calls over. I did like that. Something else I liked about the replays was that the on-field crew was 
handling the replay. It wasn't a situation where somebody's sitting in a booth or somebody's sitting nameless and faceless in another state in a command center. The crew chief and another member of the crew went and did the replay themselves. I also appreciated that. I like those guys to be subject to conversations with coaches and hearing it from fans when they make those replay calls. I like that. So overall, I liked the replays. Kind of thinking back on it, they didn't take as long as I think it felt like sitting in the ballpark. I don't mind a little bit of extra time in baseball. I'm there to enjoy baseball. It doesn't need to be over in two and a half hours for me to enjoy it. I do think one of them took a little while, but I appreciated that. It needed to take a little while. It was an unusual call. It was an unusual situation. You needed multiple angles to really make the right call. So based on the NCAA rules that I've read, each coach will get two replays a game. They get two challenges, basically. Whether they're right or wrong, they get the two then the crew chief can also initiate a replay depending on the situation. And then the rules change a little bit in the last two innings of a game with a little bit more freedom for what they replay and check. So it's a little bit murky for me right now. I think that a lot of coaches would prefer if they expanded some of the replay offerings. I'm not going to go through all of those things like if a ball's fair or foul and catches in the outfield, things like that. I think that some coaches would probably prefer it was a little bit broader. But from this game and watching what they did, I think it was probably okay. And I'm not going to change it. I don't think you need to limit it to one. I don't like that situation. Baseball's a long game, and a lot of things happen in those 27 outs. I don't want a coach to feel like they can't challenge something or check something when it could be the wrong call. So I'm curious to see how it continues to play out. I think that it's probably a good thing where it's available. I just don't want it to get out of hand where the game is governed by video. That's where I feel like football has gone. If you know, everything has to be so precise and perfect based on video. And I just don't think that really plays to the nature of the game. You know, the other part of baseball that's always been a little bit endearing is there is some human error. There's some judgment. You know, that's what a home plate umpire is all about, judgment calls. Uh, Whether it's a play at the plate or just calling balls and strikes, it's about judgment, you know, and I don't want to get into a situation where video is changing that too much. I understand wanting to be precise to make the right calls, but sometimes human judgment is part of sports and I don't want to lose that. But as it is right now, I think they were pretty positive. I may be a little bit biased because most of them went the way of the Red Raiders, but not all of them. I should say this. I think what I'm seeing right now, I'm accepting what I'm seeing with it. I'll make the decision if I like it later. So the last question I'm going to answer came from M. She asked, what series are you most excited for and why? Well, I'm excited for Frisco. Part of that is purely personal. I'm going to the Frisco tournament. I'm really excited to go with my Hecklin buddies to see some good baseball in a ballpark that I've heard is really a great place at Dr. Pepper ballpark. That's where the Frisco Rough Riders play. I think it's going to be a fun tournament. I think it's going to be a well-run tournament. And to be honest, I'm really excited to see the Red Raiders in a different situation. Getting into tournament play, playing three different teams over a weekend really changes the response of pitching. It changes the response of the team than to playing a three-game series, You know where you're so familiar with the team by Sunday that it's it's just a different feel. Going in and play quality competition in the Metroplex, I think is going to be a fun tournament to be at and to be a part of. I also appreciate how affordable they made it. It was like 55, 60 bucks to see every game this weekend from reserve seats and even cheaper for general admission. So I think it's going to be a good one. I think that tournaments like this, kind of similar to what I was saying with a comeback game like Texas Tech had on Saturday and to a lesser extent on Sunday, coming back to win, 
that's something that pays dividends later on in the season. Having some tournament play under your belt against quality opponents will pay dividends in things like a regional later on and in the College World Series. So I think it's a positive. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more about Frisco. I've got a really special guest coming on next week to help me preview that series. So be on the lookout for that one. So with that being said, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for tuning into Dinger Derby. Please continue to share our posts on social media. Go review us on iTunes to help folks find us. Please tell your friends about it that also enjoy Texas Tech baseball. Send me any requests, any questions, anything you might have on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby or at Dinger underscore Derby at Outlook.com. We'll see you at the ballpark this weekend, and until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone? There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me